So you ever held back from asking a question because you're afraid of the answer? Or maybe you're afraid of what the response is going to be in general? Maybe that's why guys get nervous uh, right before they do a marriage proposal because even if they think they know what the answer is going to be, it can still be, ah, what are they going to say? How are they going to react? You ever ask a question and you get a response you think, man, I should not ask that question. A lot of students end up getting that where they are, uh, if they ask a question in class and it's like, wow, that's a stupid question. It's like, okay, I guess I'm never asking a question again. You know, today we check out a story of a person who probably raised both hands on that last option where they get a response. It's like, wow, I shouldn't have asked that one. You know, in this season, as we are anticipating Christmas, we call it Advent, the day when God became man. We start looking at one of my favorite ways to approach different stories in the Bible, especially Christmas. We start looking at some of the characters of the story that most people will know well if they know the story, if they know the Christmas story. Those who really, for the most part, they were just doing their thing. I mean, their credentials don't make them, you know, super anything special or unique, like they were, um, you know, super human or something like that. They're just doing their thing, whether it's their job or, or whatnot. And the hope is that doing this by looking at these stories and looking particularly at these characters, these characters that come together in the nativity scene, that this will help you find your place in the story. Because yes, Christmas is a unique story for sure. And while we anticipate it, and while we celebrate it each year, especially if you're a child, or especially if you have kids, the original only happened once. You know, from here on out, it's like sequels, if you will. But that doesn't mean God's done writing a story. And one that can include us. So today, we're going to check out the story of a, of a guy named Zechariah. He was an older dude, um, a priest in Israel with his older wife, Elizabeth. That's part of the story. And uh, I know how do we connect with somebody who has a four-syllable name and it ends in Aya. I mean, it doesn't sound like anything we would, at least in the West, like we would connect with. But again, it's a guy who is doing his job after pretty much giving up on his wish that he and his wife Elizabeth would have a baby, that they would have a child. Now, and we may have that kind of desire here uh, in the 21st century, that we may want to be parents, and it, if we are, for whatever reason, in a situation where that's impossible or very difficult, that can be a heartbreaking thing. But on top of it, back in this culture where this story is taking place, there's sort of this social stigma to not having kids. Like if you didn't have kids, you were an outcast. Not just the, the human desire to have children, you were societally driven out, considered cursed, if you will, if you were without children. Especially if you were a woman, because you, don't shoot the messenger, you had to count on your husband and then eventually your sons to take care of you because women didn't exactly have a very high place in society back then whether or not they had children. But, you know, any grandparent will tell you that the reason to have kids is to have grandkids. Well, dare I quote the old sitcom, you know, you can't have one without the other. But the situation still poses an issue for, the, for this couple. Because by all accounts, they are faithful people. As we see, this is all coming out of 
uh, Luke 1, this story. But in verse 6, both of them, Zechariah and Elizabeth, were righteous before God, living blamelessly according to all the commandments and regulations of the Lord. The children are seen in this time as a blessing. And by converse or contrast, being barren was considered a curse, as we see later on in the story. And with this mix, how do faithful people end up cursed with barrenness? It's sort of the why do bad things happen to good people question that plagues Christians and non-Christians throughout, throughout culture. Well, let me borrow one phrase from that I enjoy using, if I can, from the book of Esther. Uh, it's a, a phrase that I've appreciated, even though I, I admit I'm taking it out of context. So it's just the phrase that I'm looking at here. But the phrase is, prepared for such a time as this. Sometimes, I believe, God uses our struggles as a setup. To use a popular storyline, many people love the rags to riches theme in a story, in a narrative, whether it's a movie or a book, something like that. But in order to have such a story, in order to have a comeback story, there has to be the rags part. There has to be the struggle to be able to appreciate the riches part. And God takes this story way beyond any riches theme that an author is going to be able to come up with. And starts with Zechariah's job. It's a bit unique for today, I admit. He's a priest. I know, he's a priest, strike one to being able to relate. His name is Zechariah, which is fun to try and relate to. But he's doing small town ministry. And he is one of actually thousands of priests in the area. This is all happening in, uh, in Israel and around Jerusalem. And so when, uh, they would do their temple work in lots, if you will. They would have a, a collection of priests who would sort of rotate in to do the priest work in the temple. And so it's, it's sort of like getting called up into the big leagues for a season. And within this lot, the, he, Zechariah, was chosen to offer incense prayers in the Holy of Holies. In verses 8 to 10, we see this again in Luke 1. Once he was serving as priest before God and his section was on duty, he was chosen by lot, according to the custom of the priesthood, to enter the sanctuary of the Lord and offer incense. Now at that time of the incense offering, the whole assembly of the people was praying outside. Here's a once-in-a-lifetime opportunity for Zechariah to get the chance to do this, to give the incense prayer on behalf of the whole nation. And if that's not enough, Zechariah has a once-in-a-lifetime conversation that comes out of it. The story continues in verses 11 through 13. Then there appeared to him an angel of the Lord standing at the right side of the altar of incense. When Zechariah saw him, he was terrified and fear overwhelmed him. But the angel said to him, Do not be afraid, Zechariah, for your prayer has been heard. Your wife Elizabeth will bear you a son, and you will name him John. Not only will God give him a son, but he makes him, makes John, the front runner for the Messiah that the whole nation has been waiting for. This is John the Baptist, the guy who, who sets the stage, who clears the path, if you will, for Jesus. Later on in verses 16 and 17, as the angel is telling Zechariah what John is going to be like, he says, He will turn many of the people of Israel to the Lord their God. 
With the spirit and power of Elijah, he will go before him to turn the hearts of parents to their children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the righteous to make ready a people prepared for the Lord. So if you're a parent, maybe you have looked at your child and you have wished for them to be somebody who would make the world a better place. Somebody who would make a difference in people's lives. As a parent, that's uh, we have kind of that universal theme for just wanting our children to be able to, to be those kinds of people. And Zechariah just hit the honeypot with this one. He has going to have a son who will turn many of the people of Israel to the Lord their God. And how does he respond? Verse 18, Zechariah said to the angel, How will I know that this is so? For I am an old man and my wife is getting on in years. I mean, this is week one, day one of how not to talk to an angel. Definitely, you know, nobody could fault his disbelief. I mean, he's afraid, as we see, saw earlier on, just being in the presence of an angel. But even as faithfully as he is, he has disbelief. He has questions. You know, it's a nice thing about Luke and his writing and how he puts his gospel together is he doesn't dress up Zechariah like some hero of the faith. He's a guy who needs a sign, something that's going to help him believe. And he's been given one, even though it's not exactly what he'd hoped for. He had asked for more evidence because he can't be sure. And here's how the response that he gets. In verses 19 and 20, the angel replied, I am Gabriel. I stand in the presence of God, and I have been sent to speak to you and to bring you this good news. But now, because you did not believe my words, which will be fulfilled in their time, you will become mute, unable to speak, until the day these things occur. But how leads to but now. But how is this going to happen? Because I'm an old man, leads to but now. You're not going to be able to talk until John is born. You know, as the people are waiting outside the temple to see when Zechariah comes out, to see if he's heard from the Lord, Zechariah has plenty to say, but he can't do it. So what about us? So what if we have that moment of lapse? Are we going to go mute? You know, I don't want to downplay what is hap- what happens to Zechariah, but that's really what this is. It's a faithful person who's hearing unbelievable news and he's going, how? Even the most devout people throughout history can't drop themselves into the story and go, I'd have reacted differently. I mean, I would have been like Zechariah on my best day. And with such a response from the angel Gabriel to say, you know, you're questioning me. I'm coming as the mouthpiece of God and you're questioning me. It begs the question, is God afraid of our questions? Does God blow a head gasket when we ask for an explanation? If I'm being completely honest, I paced a lot around in my office trying to understand why Zechariah gets such a hard, such a harsh response to his honest inquiry. He's a human being. The best I can think is that Zechariah responded out of skepticism rather than out of curiosity. You know, we'll see a similar yet contrasting response to the same kind of news in next week's story with next week's character. Let you hang on to check that one out. But it's where the response is more the flip, where it's more curiosity than skepticism. But You know, I digress a little bit because kind of back to the real life question here. Will God strike us down for questioning? 
for wondering, for asking, for not instantly kowtowing to unbelievable claims like, you're 100 years old and you're going to have a child. What do you do with that? You'll use me to free Israel from Egypt, one character asked. We're going to have kids at 90 years old. That's one that'd be universally pretty surprising. The tomb is empty and Jesus is nowhere to be found. You tell me to be thankful when my life is falling apart. You say you're going to offer peace when my child is fighting for their life. You're really there, God? Tough questions that maybe we're afraid to ask. Questions that rarely are just cerebral. They're rarely just in our heads because as as though we're trying to explore them like some kind of intellectual exercise. But sometimes, here's the trick, we transfer our limitations onto God, thinking that God has to work under the same limitations that we do as human beings. And we forget, even just for a second, that God is the creator, not the creation. So in short, no. I don't believe God is afraid of our questions. You look at other passages in the narrative of the Bible, and you see examples of of other faithful people who asked questions. Moses, Job, Zechariah, Mary, Peter. The best conclusion that I can see is that God doesn't always answer our questions. At least not in the way that we would like or that we would expect, as though you're having a, a Q&A sit down over coffee. But he always holds the one who asks them. Let me say that again. He doesn't always answer our questions the way we might like or expect, but he always holds the one who asks them. Maybe that's not the neat boxed with a bow answer or explanation that we'd like. I'd certainly like to be able to give a you know a three easy steps to making to hearing the answers to these tough questions especially when the questions come out of a place not out of our heads but out of a place of pain but sometimes who god is is the lifeline that we have for grabbing so this week what is that prayer you have been skeptical to pray to think god doesn't want to hear this or god's not going to answer this dare i say it try god Try God. Pray that prayer and see if his faithfulness might surprise you. It surprised a lot of people 2,000 years ago. That's why we have the story of Christmas today. Let's pray together. God, thank you for holding us even when we don't understand, even when we ask, even when we cry out to you. Give us the courage to trust you. Give us the courage to hang on to you when we don't, when we're walking by faith and not by sight, as you have called us to do. Help us through the power of your Holy Spirit to do that while we pray. Amen.